from the saddle. Produced by Caitlin Hewitt and Joseph Maloney. Owned and operated by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. All rights reserved. This episode is brought to you by Scott Keogh Horsemanship, offering a wide range of services from horse breaking and training to clinics and private lessons. Tested, tried and true horsemanship coaching and advice. Clear and easy to understand horsemanship advice. A common sense approach with no showmanship or gimmicks. Go to www.skhorsemanship.com for more information, products and a range of Scott's DVDs. Sport Horse 505 due to come out any day. Follow Scott on Instagram and Facebook. I just need to take five and go away and recover. <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word to describe it. <laughs> from the saddle. G'day folks, Scott Keogh here from the saddle. Uh, today we've got a really interesting podcast, um, something that I'm super interested in. Now in Australia it doesn't matter if you rodeoed in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the, the 80s or right now. There's one name that's always been there at the very forefront of rodeo along with their catering uh, the carnival, the amusement side of their business, Australia has always had the Gill brothers. So today, I'm really excited to be joined by Eddie Gill. How are you this morning, Eddie? Not too bad, Scott. How are you, mate? Really good, mate. Um, before we get into, uh, you know, the great history of family, tell me, uh, what's uh, morning feed up look like at your place? Well, we're pretty lucky right now, so there's no morning feed up. There's a bit of feed about, which is um, a breath of fresh air since we've had the few years of drought. Um, so it's um, it's pretty good right now, a little bit of a holiday, really, with the COVID stuff. So what uh, what sort of numbers of stock does it take to run the Gill Brothers, mate? We generally, uh, normal uh, times for us, we have about 250 bulls running here, probably about 300-odd cows um, and up to about 250 to 300 horses. It takes in like your open horses, your your breeding mares, obviously your stallions, the same as with cows and all that. We, we try to produce all our own now. The, the days of buying outside livestock unless it's had a buck and stock sale. We really don't even go into that too much nowadays. We just breed all our own and um, and we chase the good ones here and there. If a stock contractor is selling out or something like that, we always try and buy the best ones that we can from them guys as well. Right. You know, I know a fair bit about uh, you personally because, um, you know, I've rodeoed in your era. Um, but I'm so interested about where did the Gill Brothers start? I mean, it just seems like there's always been the Gill Brothers and we've heard of the Buck Jump Tent Days, the Skewthorpes, the McConvilles. They're all gone. The Gill Brothers are still here. Yeah, probably pretty lucky that we are still sort of going. It's um, it's a it's a, a good thing for rodeo, I think, to, to have them more in it. But um, we, we do originate from, you know, before rodeo started, in this country, our family originates from the circus um, side of things back to the 1800s. So it's, you know, it's been the entertainment industry for us for a long time. And I guess it was and not until um, my grandfather and Stan Gill Jr. where, where they started bucking horses in the, in the circus in me. me my great-grandmother and grandfather's circus, that um, that the rodeo side of things came into play and uh, obviously from there moved on to buck jump shows and things and then to full-scale um, rodeos. So, so you're circus people first, mate? Definitely circus people first. Our uh, great-great-grandfather was Jack Denner and um, his daughter Violet married um, Stan Gill Sr. And Stan Gill Sr. was a musician with the circus. Um, so our... our, our Entertainment heritage does come from the Denner's side of thing, 
um, which comes from the Rowans, which we go back, you know, generations with that circus side of stuff. Well, is there a Rowan Circus now, mate? Is that a name that's still going? So not in Australia. Okay. Not Australia. Right, that wrong, yeah. was in the 1800s. Um, Jack Denner had married one of the Rowans. Um, that's how that sort of came into it. But, yes, yeah, so I've been in the entertainment industry way before I ever, ever was even thought of and um, still into it today and, and going strong. So getting back to like your dad and your grandpa and those fellas, could they all like walk a tightrope and trick animals? They had all that sort of stuff, mate? Well, that, that's that's where they all started. They were all circus performers. Um, my grandfather Jack and, and Stan and Victor and um, Doyle and the three sisters, Pearl, Tibby and um, Alice, all circus performers and all very accomplished circus performers. I mean, our family, as far as circus is concerned, is Stan Gill, uh, the third, he flew for Ringling Brothers for many years. We held the main arena with Flying Wayans. Um, we've got family who are in um, England, the Williamses, great horse people over there, and all go back, all part of our family. Um, so circus and entertainment, they've, they've done a lot. Um, yeah. And that was part of of what you do. I mean, like even you go through the times like, me, me great great grandmother and obviously all them and then then my grandfather stand that and then you you had like dad and and uncle peter and uncle happy and them sort of people all circus performers all could do acrobatics could uh, crack whips rope spin comedy clowns you name it they could do it um as well as being accomplished cowboys as well and i think that's what adds i guess to our history the the most is that that we can adjust and we can turn to any sort of thing to entertain people. That's that's our deal, you know. Well, obviously, well, you survived, didn't you? You know, you're still here. Well, you survive. Uh, I mean, it comes from, you know, obviously at times in, in our life, uh, our family has been wealthy people, but obviously on the road all the time, time things change and um, you have your ups and downs and, and that sort of stuff. But we've, we've we learnt, all learnt the hard way. We all learnt to go without and if you learn to go without, when you get something come your way, it's pretty easy. And um, and that's what we find. Like the tough times that we've had here in the last few years with the drought and now this COVID stuff, man, I mean, people would probably think, well, they'll roll over. Well, we don't roll over. We don't know how to roll over. We keep going. And and as hard as it gets, the harder we get. And, and you get by it. But you're educated to do that. The road does that to you. The road gives you that education. Absolutely, mate. So um, let's talk about... Your dad. Brian Gill, yeah. So let's talk about him and his brothers cracking out that buck jump tent. So lifestyle is what? Like you, you, you pitch a tent in the town, you put perform for a night or two and, and you move on? Was that life? Uh, early in the piece, like our grandfather, he he obviously owned the show. Like it was originally Stan and Jack Gill and then they broke up and Stan run his show and and Jack Gill run his show. My grandfather was always stuck with the name Gill Brothers. That was that was Jack and Stan and Victor and and Doyle's original. They are the original Gill Brothers. My grandfather always stuck with Gill Brothers. And then um, Peter and and uh, my father Brian and and ja- John Junior. They become the Gill Brothers. Uh, and it sort of has just passed down through generations. Now we don't. None of us profess to be Gill Brothers nowadays. We just keep the name going. As, as that's our family name. We're very proud of it and we keep it going. So for us, as kids, around the Buck Jump show, we travelled with our grandfather and, you know, mum would get up early every morning. You'd 
every, every new town every night, same as circuses work. You know, she'd get up early, she'd cart us through to the next town, she'd put us to school, we'd do school there that day. That night you'd show in that town, the next morning she'd be up at daylight, she'd have you to the next town, you'd be in the next school. The principal signed the book to say you've gone to school and that sort of stuff. That was just normal part of life for us um, and a good part of our life too, very educational. And, mate, um, that's not for everyone, is it, Eddie? Like, I mean, you're talking about new school every day, uh, probably a new schoolyard bully. Generally. 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 Part, well, part and parcel of what you do. I mean, you're a, you're a stranger coming into a community and and, and every town has, has that sort of stuff. I mean, so you, I won't say that there weren't more than one fight. There was plenty of fights in schoolyards uh, for many years, but it was it was just you was outside, you was outside of coming into town and, and that sort of stuff. and But, you know, we, we got some great lifelong friends out of that sort of stuff. I mean, I don't know of many towns where we haven't gone to school. Honestly, don't know many towns we haven't gone to school because mum had us at every school. And it was just later in years where she got to doing the correspondence with us and um, and that sort of stuff that, that we got to sort of more of a settled sort of a situation with our schooling sort of thing. Now, your mum, Sylvia, a lot of people see Sylvia at the rodeos with her, with her booth and her stand. Tough life on a woman, mate. Was she raised in the circuses and the buck jump tents? No, no. Mum is originally from Canamble, Um and she she got with Dad, like I think, when she was 16. Um, her father, Nick Ayub, he helped build the, the – uh, helped Johnny Ludnam actually build the Canamble arena that's there now. Um, so there was sort of ties there, but, but no, mum was, she was young when she come with the show and she, she learned the hard way, which, which everyone does when they come into, into the business. It was a hard life and I can only speak great things of my mother. She's done such great things and she's done it hard. She has done very hard and she's contributed so much to our family, you know, besides the guild side of things, the leveler for us has always been our mother yep. and, um, she's been inspirational to us. Um, and everything that we've done, and I were a lot, um, but I know her friendships all over Australia and the people who, you know, who she's been around and who she's friends with, they they cherish that friendship as she does cherish the friendships with a lot of people. But no, she done it hard, Mum. She done it very hard, eh? Well, so she's a very respected lady, your mum. And so let's talk about the, the teenage Gill brothers. So you, you boys are at the stage where you're riding a few steers and ponies in the tent, things like that? Well, we we what had happened was there for a, we, but they went from the buck jump show, my grandfather's buck jump show, and that, and like they was running sort of full scale rodeos then for a while. It weren't until my grandfather passed away that that my father he started the buck jump show back up again. And around that time, we was oh, I think I was fifteen, fourteen, fifteen. Malcolm was pretty young and and that sort of stuff. And so we sort of he started up. Henty was the first place we showed. And we were just sort of thrown in the deep and we was, although we'd been around the Buck Jump Show all our life, we'd went from the kids of the Buck Jump Show to now being the riders of the Buck Jump Show. And although we'd been riding steers and that sort of stuff and Malcolm had been on a couple of bareback horses and things like that, a couple of bulls and sort of stuff, we really weren't accomplished riders. But being part of the Gill Brothers, we had to become that pretty quick. So Dad threw us in the deep end pretty fast and... Um, we, he started the Buck Jump Show, greatest thing he ever done for us as far as, as our life because it set us to where we are today, really. So, it, um, yeah, we just sort of done what we'd always done. You sort of, I guess you knew how to do it, but um, doing it was another thing. And boys to men story. 
that was basically it. That was basically it. I mean, driving trucks when you're 14 years old and, you know, and putting up, pulling down and doing things what men should do, out fighting with tenants who are playing up around your block <laughs> and that sort of stuff. I mean, that that's part and parcel of that life. But great educational thing. I look back now and it's a very unique thing that you'll never ever see now. Like even towards the end with Dad, he had us driving through the Northern Territory. I don't think there's a dirt track. He never took us. We went right up through Arnhem Land. We was travelling on four-wheel drive truck tra- uh, tracks with uh, semis and caravans and bogging in dirt, sand and out in the middle of nowhere. But look back, hard times, but geez, great times, great things. Eh? There wouldn't be too many roads in Australia the Gill Brothers haven't drove up, is there? Not too many. No. Not too many. Every, everywhere you go, and, and I, you know, I remember when I used to travel with my grandfather or travel with my father and that sort of stuff, you'd always drive part in through a town and they'd say, oh, we showed there in 1969 on that block there. And then we showed there, you know, and, and then I find myself now today, I'm driving along with my grandkids and my kids and I say, oh, we showed there. I drive past the Long Yard Hotel and... And the kids said to me one day, oh, we're going along. I said, well, that's what we showed there. See, before all that was built, well, that long yard, Dad had the buck jump show there. That's where he worked at a country music festival. It was a paddock, a bare paddock. Adam Newman, Jason Newman and fellas got him to fund the stockyard. John Rodney rode there. You find yourself telling these same stories that you've heard all your life. It's, it's surreal, really. And how many shows a year are we talking, Eddie? Well, we, how Dad used to work his show was mainly um, through wintertime because in the, in Victoria and that sort of stuff, it was harder to get, um, you know, insurances and, and that sort of stuff. New South Wales was a good state to show in, but Queensland really was uh, the better state. It was more, Dad always said, the outback gets further outback every year, and it was true. If you travelled out through Western Queensland, you always got packed houses. You was always full. When you got to the Northern Territory, you couldn't hold the people and that sort of stuff. You got back into these more populated areas, obviously more entertainment, and you know, and, and that I guess was uh, the dying of the buck jump shows and the circuses and things like that, which makes it hard, is because the entertainment so so thing. But we used to do mainly winter. We'd go winter, we'd go north, drive from them, then we'd come back down south, and then we'd sort of lay up through Christmas and that. And then, then you'd get back into it. You'd do the odd radio here and there. Dad had stock with Uncle Peter and that sort of stuff, doing a few things and that, but we never really got right into the rodeo stuff until sort of, you know, me and me and Malcolm got a bit older and where we could probably get a little bit of pulling power with Dad. Dad loved the buck jump show. He loved that lifestyle, but we sort of, we loved the rodeo thing. And when Malcolm went to, to the States and went to college over there, he, we he come home and we just decided we'd start getting some bucking stock together. So that was sort of the changing of the the guard with that sort of stuff as well. So so we, are we talking like a boxing troupe? You travelled around, you had your own riders, and then you got to the show and you drummed up a few locals to challenge. Is that how that's how it all worked? Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Like you'd go to country shows, you'd you'd uh, put up. You go to like places like Charleville. I remember the first couple of years we went back out to Charleville and in places the riders they'd line up and you'd have to match them. You know, it was always the thing that you'd have local buck jumpers would come in and, and we had to get on the local buck jumpers. It was basically challenging us to see whether we could ride them and obviously you weren't allowed to get thrown. That was the original sin. You weren't allowed to get thrown. <laughs> um, but in vice versa, you'd have the best riders of the town had come and you used to have to have the good horse or the good bull 
that would throw them. You always had to have a leveler. It was no different than a boxing tent. You've always got to have a leveler. You can't. Yeah. It, it, it's never ever given that you're going to come to a buck jump show. It doesn't make a difference how good you ride. You've got to be able to throw them off because that's that's your leveler, and you've got to be able to ride their good horse. And and that's was part and parcel of it. I mean, things have changed now, and saddles are different, and things are harder than it, but. Yeah, we'd line up, you'd go to Charleville, you'd have 30 fellas lying, stand out the front of the tent, wanting to get on, and Dad used to have show after show to, to accommodate them all. And, um, yeah, it was good times. It was really good times, eh? So who were the names then, Eddie, that, like, uh, were the gun riders? Like, when when you were boys and teenagers and, and just having to step up and be men, who who were the guys that... In rodeo or just general towns you'd go to? Yeah, or anything, you know, just the iconic people. Well, you'd people. go out west then and then you'd always crack it for the Les Lemon Road Bronx good out there and Road Bulls good and, and the Howlets and, you know, um, McKellars and fellas like that. And, um, you know, it was Dad always, because Dad rodeoed for so long and he had so many friends in rodeo, um, he never ever, like, if you went to somewhere and Ray Herman would turn up, Ray would always ride for Dad. Yep. He'd always ride in Dad's troop. You know, and that's how it was. Those riders would were his mates and they, they'd come and they'd be part of your crew. And, um, but, you know, well, you know the great riders, uh, the Frank Greens when we was around Brisbane. Frank Green rode every night when we was showing around Brisbane with Dad, loved Dad and was good mates with Dad. And um, accredited Dad to him getting him back and winning the, the all-round title because without the buck jump show, he believed he wouldn't have got right back into rodeo how he did, Frank. And Frank was a terrific bloke, great mates with Dad. But that was the calibre of fella who would come and ride with you based off, you know, it was like years ago, the McTaggarts or, you know, the um, Crawfords or people like that all rode in buck jump shows. It was all part of the buck jump show troops and, you know, and so it's been longevity with our family with cowboys and and this industry, and we have so many friends in the industry. We've got a lot of enemies as well, like everyone does. But, I mean, you can't be around this long and everyone be your friend. I yeah, think. absolutely. Yeah. I think a lot of people, when they see, you know, the Guild Brothers at a showgrounds and, you know, it's that lonely showgrounds Monday morning and wrapping papers all over the ground, they don't want that life. I don't think a lot of people, you know, say, geez, I don't know if I could do that, you know, and move on town to town. Was there ever a time when you – just become a painter or a builder in town and broke away and did your own thing? I worked in a meatworks for a month at Laverton before I went to the States down in Victoria and I, I was just working there on casual and I was sort of um, was running cattle up and I sort of figured out that a lot of the people who was telling me what to do weren't as smart as me and I thought to myself, I don't think I can do this work for people who are not that smart. <laughs> So I sort of figured that the industry that I was in, I'm better off sticking with that, and that's what I've always done, and that's what I'll always do. I don't, I don't have a hankering to do anything else. I love what I do, and even now, with the COVID, the worst thing that's happened to us right now is, is with the COVID's made us stay at home. Where I just like being on the road. That's what we've always done. Yeah, you know, that's that's our life, and and it's not a life for everyone. But I'll tell you, it is the greatest life you'll ever have. So yeah, that's unreal. The people you meet and where you go and you know what I mean? I, uh, there's not many towns where we don't go where if they don't, once upon a time it was I knew your grandfather, then it was I knew your father. Well, now I know my kids, they're going to towns down and saying, oh, I know uncle, I know Malcolm, I know Eddie. But I mean, you know, you know people everywhere. And that's the great thing with travelling 
is you get to meet people everywhere and you get to live a unique lifestyle, which is, I guess, it's a holiday, but you work damn hard at it. You definitely work, and uh, I know that wife of yours works too. I know that firsthand. Yeah, she goes hard. A meal at your place can mean 20 to 30-plus people, can't it? That's how it works. That's how it's always worked. There's never been anyone, and that's that's how show people and circus people are. You'll never ever rock up to someone's camp on the showgrounds and never be offered a feed. You'll always be offered a feed. You'll be always be offered somewhere to camp. Show people are great people, and so are circus people. They um, they go out, and that's what it's like here. I know. I, I've watched Mum for years. You know, cook dinner, and there's dinner there for me and. My brothers and sisters and dad, and then dad will rock up, rock up with five cowboys. Well, then that goes around the five cowboys, and then someone else will turn up. Well, and then something else has got to be cooked. Never, ever said, never knocked anyone back. No one's ever been knocked back for feed in our camp. They never, ever will be. I know Karen's the same now. At, our, at home here, and meal stretches from two people to 20 people real quick. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's life. That's how life works. So, what about Eddie? Give us a glimpse on just a couple of real tough times on the roads. Like I've heard the stories, you know, driving the busted old truck and unregistered, you know, across the Nullarbor or whatever, you know. You, you give us a glimpse on what the hard times on the road. Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, every day even when you get in trucks years ago because I guess as, like, times have got now where everything runs good and everything's smooth and, we, you know, everything's – but back, then when we first had sort of started back with the Buck Jump Show, we had a lot of dodgy trucks. We had, you know, the big breaking down, you're doing tyres. We become the mechanics. We're underneath them, you know, that sort of stuff. So yeah, that was just a general thing, you know. I remember driving down the Black Butt Range. My brother-in-law wouldn't drive the truck because it had a dodgy brake line. And Dad said, you get in the truck and drive it down. So I got in the truck and drove it down. So you'd, get, you'd go down and you'd have Jimmy Smith was travelling with me. He was a great tent rider and mate of dad's and smithy had the chalk and you'd go down probably about 50 feet you'd get out you'd get underneath it you'd hit the brake line and seal her off a bit more so the brake fluid weren't leaking out too quick and just have her in low gear and ready to chop her if she gets away ludicrous stuff now (laughs) that you got away with then i think a lot of people did but um i guess a lot of the hardest times for us i guess was in traveling through the Northern Territory on the dirt roads and the sand and bogging trucks and taking you, you know, you're going 100 k's and it's taking you three days to go 100 k's and you've got 10 backpackers with you who are digging sand and, you know, just <laughs> crazy stuff. But hard times and at the time, geez, you're thinking to yourself, what the hell are we doing? But I look back and I think, geez, I'd do it all again, you know. Terrific things. This is a little off subject, but the other day there was a, a show on Netflix called Fearless and it was about the Brazilian bull riders. And yep. it showed, I don't know if you watched the show, but it showed Adriano Moraes, who's a three-time world champion, and they're at the Barretos, the, the big uh, bull ride in Brazil. And he said, we all come here and we camp with the bull owners. And they were camping yep. in just a real rough old hut. And, um, <laughs> and Adriano said, this new generation have missed this. They have. They've missed it. They go to the motel, the airport to the motel. And he said they've missed it. Well, this is this is where rodeos losing things nowadays. How I think rodeos losing things nowadays is because once upon a time, everyone who went to a rodeo, he was a cowboy, yep. he was a ringer, he was a stockman. We're dealing with a different thing now. And it was only watching the PRCA national finals the other day that I come to realise that the PRCA, they're cowboys. Yep. 
that's a professional cowboy deal. They're cowboys, and and every one of them, right from the bull riders to the, to the calf ropers, they're all cowboys. They rope, they ride broncs. A lot of the stuff nowadays, what Mariah's is talking about with these with the bull riding kids, is a lot of them get thrown on these, these stages, and they they can't even carry the gear bag. They got wheels on the gear bag. <laughs> they're rolling them on red carpet, and that's great. And they they're good riders and all that sort of stuff. But they've missed the great part of rodeo. They missed the great part of rodeo. Like you watch the stuff at the finals the other day and you see them Australian kids like Kai Hamilton, Jamie Hill and that. They're kids that are doing 100 rodeos a year. They're doing a $500 dog fight somewhere the next day. They're a Cheyenne ride in front of 50,000 people. Yep. That's cowboy. Yep. That's rodeo. And I think we're sort of losing a bit of that. We all have to get back a bit to our roots because uh, the the better cowboys are the cowboys. Absolutely. And you know, you can say as much as you like as as oh, you know, the, probably the best cowboy we've seen come out of a city is Dave Johnson from French's Forest, a surfer who becomes legend status in this country. Yep. Back then, that was unique. Um, nowadays, it's not unique because you're getting kids coming from anywhere, and they some of them don't even know what a horse is. They don't even look at a horse. They don't even ride a horse. Yep. But they're, they're cowboys. Well, cold hard facts is they're not cowboys. They're just kids that ride. Yeah. That's what they are. Cowboys are cowboys. They get out and do it. But no, I mean, I is right. You, you're losing, and we're losing all our, all of it. It's like the stuff we're talking about with buck jump shows and things like that. Kids nowadays don't even know what a buck jump show is. They don't even know the heritage of their industry. I mean, if you go back even in America, the Wild West shows and things like that, this is where all this stuff is formed. This is where it all comes together. This is where competition starts, like foundation of a rodeo, bronc riding. Where's bronc riding start? Starts in a round yard. Yep. Oh, mate, Betton, oh, you can't ride that horse. Moves to the buck jump show where he gets challenged to ride the best bucking horse. It's not something that just fell over tomorrow this stuff this stuff has been years and years in the making and our kids need to know where it come from they need to know our heritage barrel racing you look at barrel racing how big it is now when barrel racing started in this country my grandfather and uncles and father run the first ones at rodeos in victoria yeah right first barrel races in rodeo and 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 me me auntie margaret was the driving force behind the gra with a lot of them uh, um Margaret Maguire and them ladies who formed the association that got that going. People don't know this. They think this has just happened. That's right. It hasn't happened. People worked hard to get rodeo and to get these industries where they are today, and and we need to preserve this for our kids and our grandkids and great-grandkids to know where it came from. Every other sport does it, but rodeo's forgetting it, and we can't forget it. Yeah, they say it's hard to hard to know where you're going when you don't know where you've been. Well, this is true. This is true. I guess Australia, we, we fall a little bit behind America. America, everyone can still tell you who Casey Tibbs is. Yeah. Everyone can still, still tell you who Jim Shoulders is. You know, everyone knows who Joe Alexander is. Yep. I mean, if we went back through our histories of who Lance Skewthorpe was, well, he's probably a more popular writer that you may know, but there's probably a hundred that you wouldn't. No. And we forget them and we've lost them. So we need to we need to sort of stuff going. It's these Hall of Fames and things like that, we need to keep it going. But, yeah, I get where you're coming from, that's for sure. What about um, just right at the start that you touched on, like you blokes breed 90-odd 90, 90 percent of the horses that you bark and, and you, you have the good genetics from America, um, things like that. But let's rewind back to the days when you're on the road and and you could pick up that rank station horse. I mean, those days are completely gone, aren't they, Eddie? 
I think that they're just about gone, and the reason why they're gone is is no one wants to be known for selling a buck jumper nowadays. Horses are worth so much money, so, I mean, they're not sending a horse to Scott Keogh to pull into line and then, then him sold to someone and he's a buck jumper. No, they don't want that, yeah. you know. So they're breeding it out of them and that sort of stuff, and that's fair, and, you know. But years ago, like every town we went to, we had horses, always had horses coming into the show, and uh, all halter broke horses, everything of my grandfather's all tied up, nothing. And if they weren't broke, within two weeks they were halter broke and they could jump up a board and they could learn, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, you, you know, they was about then, but you don't find them nowadays. I mean, every day we'll get messages or phone calls about people who've got a horse that's a buck jumper, but they're not really a buck jumper. No, I don't even respond to their I get those calls all the time and I just yeah. say, yeah, no, mate. Well, I, they, think, they, they think a lot of these horses are pig buck jumpers. Bucking horse has gone to the next level in the world. Yep. And everyone's seen that. Bucking horse is actually a breed. Yes. Horses for courses, isn't it? You know, exactly. It's a, it's no different than court horses and things like that. Now, that's not to say that some of the best bucking horses that we've bred are not out of good quarter horse mares yep. uh, or whatever, but they're rogan mares that you put them good stallions across and you get that perfect perfect mixture. But, um, but the bucking horse thing nowadays, like I said, we were fortunate Daryl Kong found us a good horse. It was uh, a cavalry stampede breed. Brought him back to here, been breeding with him, but we also had our own saddings out here. And, I mean, we breed a lot of good horses, yep. a lot of good horses. And and it's been years of work. Like me and Malcolm have put in 30, 35 good, hard, solid years. Everyone thinks, you know, because you're a gill, this has come, been given to you. No, it hasn't. We've worked hard for it and we've. Our breeding program is our breeding program that we put together, and it's uh, we're pretty happy with it. We've had a lot of help from friends. Don't worry, people like Daryl Kong and that. You know, you can't ever repay people like that for what they do for you. But then the reward for people like Daryl, like Kong, is seeing good bucking horses. If oh, you've yeah. got a love for good bucking horses, you'll do anything to see them. Yeah, Kong, you'd love nothing more. Um, I talked to Noel Fraser the other day. I was out at a bronc riding clinic just before COVID hit, and I said. I always come out here rodeo and there was these horses off the birds full track and you heard about the Maribel, you know, horses and all like that. And he said, Scott, those horses aren't on the stations anymore. They're all motorbikes. All gone. Yeah, they're not even there. They changed them. I mean, even years ago when you'd go to Mount Isa and ride at Mount Isa, I mean, they'd run in 150 horses. Like, it was mad. And, you know, probably 50% of them was no good at all. Yeah. But there was a lot of good horses in them. And, I mean, if you go back through... Breeding programs in Australia. I know that the best stud that we've got's Elvis, and he's out of a mare that come from Mount Isa. Yeah, right. So yeah, like Gary McPhee's mare, Isa Queen. She she's originally from Mount Isa. She's of that breed. So she has uh, the colt King Cole, one of the best breeders that Australia's ever had. I mean, these come from those bush horses off stations, Mount Isa Rodeo. They're the good breeds that are still around in Australia and people don't realise this and uh, we're lucky to have them, but you won't see it again. You won't fluke that stuff. No, it won't happen again. again. You won't get someone who will run in. Yeah, you won't see uh, Noel Fraser say, yeah, I've got four semi-loads of horses coming out of Inamika this week. No, they're not there. No, they're not there. What about in all your time, Eddie, you've obviously seen a lot of good horses. What would be the Gill Brothers' um, all-time favourite buck jumper? Well, I get I, it's whether it will differ from all of us, everyone. But at, for mine, I never ever seen him. But I heard a lot of stories about him. Was the grandfather's horse, King of the Ring? Yep. Um, 
bucked him a lot for good horse. So for me, sentimental reasons, the best horse that our family have had is King of the Ring. Um, 17 times at Sydney Exhibition, one year, 17 shows in one day. And the last day, the gun rider from the opposition buck jump show comes to ride him and he still throws him. That's a good horse. Are you serious? Yeah, that's, and that's a true story. That's a true story. And the, and the rider was Sparrow Baker from, um, from Snow River Stampede. From a rival tent. Rival tent. Come, yep. to, take, come to ride him in the last show. And um, he went as far as everyone else did. Uh, King of the Ring for mine. But if, if you want to talk about what we've bred, Probably got to stick with the old grey mare, Trouble Waters. Yep. Bred her herself, done the hard yards. She's been as ordinary as you can be and she's been as best as you can be, but she still stands in there paddock and she's worthwhile looking at every day. Yeah, right. So just just to put into perspective for people that, you know, don't know a lot about the rodeo deal, did you say that horse got bucked 17 days in a row? 17 times in one day. 17 times in one day. So the, the One day. That's show after show after show. That's turn them in, turn them out. So when, when I first went to America, I worked for a world champion stock contractor that's also Eddie's good friend, Ike Sankey. And don't quote me on this, but I think he said those good horses, he doesn't like to buck much more than 16 times a year. Well, that's, that's, this was actually the, the thing nowadays. That's how this, this all works nowadays. But we're talking about a different horse years ago. See, them buck jump show horses, they're pretty seasoned horses. Yeah. They're on the road, fit as a fiddle. King of the Ring would poke around from stories. You'd poke around my grandfather's camp. He'd be loose all the time. You'd get a handful of corn. Seasoned horses. And, I mean, you go back. I remember going to rodeos. We go to rodeos, and you see horses having two and three trips in one day, and the best trip they'd have would be the third trip. Absolutely, yeah, yep. My day too. You know what I mean? Well, I know here now with our good horses, we'll go up here to Rockhampton in, in a couple of weeks' time to do the pro rodeo and the extreme Bronx the, the, the two days later, and they all said, "Oh, well, you'll be keeping moves like Jagger for for the extreme Bronx." I said, "Be buggered! He'll be having a trip <laughs> to warm himself up yeah. for the extreme Bronx." Yeah, absolutely. You know, and them good horses are like that. They're they're pretty clever. But I understand where they come from in the States, but um, some horses handle it and some horses don't handle it. You've got to get your head around the horse that does handle it. Some horses are better on the fresh trip, but some of them old horses, they get lazy and they need a little bit of work to um, to get them into the situation where you want them, which where I want them is, is a fella can be 85 plus on them. We'll throw them off. That's where we want them. I don't want a horse blooping down the arena because I'm saying, oh, no, well, I'm only going to buck him once a year. Yep. He's my favourite. You know, he become, he don't become your favourite too too long if he's blooping down the arena. No, he's, he's got to step down in the hierarchy, isn't he? Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. But everyone has their own ideals. Oh, look, and, and for the people that don't know much about rodeo, I mean, these guys are horsemen too, no different to the guy at the show jump or the camp draft or, or whatever horse sport. Um and look, you can't compare eras, but let's talk about the buck and bulls. Which are the are the top ones of the gills? The top ones that that, that gills had a lot of good bulls. Like Uncle Happy's had a lot of good bulls. Uncle P's had a lot of good bulls. Um, best bulls we've had, Jungle Juice. Now he was the half bu- half buffalo, wasn't he? He had Bang Tang Brahmin Cross. Yep, he was the first one in this country come out of the north of uh, of Stephen Groves. Um, Malcolm brought him down here. Stephen sold him to us because he said he's no good up here. Brought him down here and we bucked him and bucked him and bucked him and he was a ripping little bull. And I, I, he won't the best one. The best bull we've had is eye candy by a long way because eye candy still has never been rode. 
He's won four or five bucking bulls in. He's still never been rode. No one even looks like riding him, and he's had the best of the best on him. So he's got a rate as the best bull we've ever had. But, geez, it's, it's a long list of good bulls. Where would Fireball stand in the herd these days? He was a bull that, you know, I remember when we got him, Malcolm got him off uh, Richard Prue and Ross Beaks up there at Emerald, brought him into the Buck Jump show. They bucked him in the tent that night, and it was mad as a meat axe. Mad as a meat axe. They couldn't get him out of the arena. They had to wait for the crowd to go to get him out. Anyway, two days later, Malcolm had him tied up. We unloaded. We went from Emerald and we showed Claremont the next week. We unloaded him in the main street of Claremont with two nose ropes on him and a chain and dropped him into, under this block. You couldn't believe it. Into a block in the middle of town. This mad as a meat axe this bull was. And, um, Three hours later, the council come and said, you can't show here, you've got to move to the, another location, but then we had to load him on the trucks. But wild bull, but in the end, Fireball was the gentleman. He was a terrific bull, and you could back him. You could back him to throw riders. Yeah, right. Bull. And many a time it, 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 he was backed. I remember Johnson riding him uh, up north one year, doing a fantastic going into the Rocky Roundup. Peter had him at the time at the Rocky Roundup, and um, they were because John Oak could ride the bull ride as he was. And um, John Condon come to Uncle Peter said, "I'll back John Oak for five hundred And Uncle Peter said, "I'll take that off you now." Four jumps later, he got the five hundred. Yeah, right. You know, so you could back him. He he was one of those bulls. He was a, he was a good bull. At the end of the day, with the buck jump show, I used to lead him out the front. You know, when you'd go and get in the pitch for people, you'd lead him out the front of the arena, out the front of the show. You'd stand him there with, you know, stand ten foot from people, and then you'd run him into the chute, pull the gear off him, put him on. He would lay out. He'd knock him cold as a maggot, and he'd hook him. He'd hook him. <laughs> walk back in the chute, put his rope on, lead him out the back. You know. Now, that's something I just want to touch on, Eddie, because I had a small go at putting on bull rides. And, and there's, there's guys out there that love to buck some bulls and, you know, me and those ex-riders or whatever. It's a way you stay in the sport. We're talking about leading a feral bull down the tailgate of a truck by the nose in the main street after owning him three days. That's a far cry from me and up the top rail of the yard with the poly in your hand bellering out and you've owned him for years. It's, it's mad. But, I mean, something. the thing about it, that all that sort of stuff is is we'd done this stuff, we'd watched our, our grandfather do it. You know, you was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Malcolm said to me, he said, you get that nose rope and I'll get this nose rope, and that was to keep him off us. But if one let the nose rope go, the other fellow was getting flattened. That oh, was yeah. for sure, for certain. Yeah, and... And to do that stuff, but I, nowadays it's so much different. You don't, you won't see all of that stuff again. You won't. Uh, but but people have different ideals on the whole game. But I've been very fortunate in in my business, my family is to have a brother who knows bulls backwards, and that alleviated me from doing too much with them. <laughs> you know, I, I, I hate steered them. around them. I stuck with the horses. But Malcolm, I could see him getting a pen of bulls with the hookiest, like Pat Speedy, getting a pen of bulls with the hookiest bulls you'd ever see. He could get around them. He could work them. He could take them anywhere he wanted to take them and do anything with them. But um, like you say, you'd go to some events and you'd see guys standing around and run their bulls in. I've got the best bull in Australia, but he can't get in the yard with him. Yep. He's got to stand on the top rail and that bull's hooking him off. And you're thinking to yourself, well, 
you're not much of a cattleman. Yeah, you're a long way from a cattleman, aren't you? You're a long way from a cattleman, but you, do, you, know, you don't have to say anything. You don't be critical of people. We just let people do what they do and we do what we're doing, you know. That's how it goes. What was the deal like, Eddie? I remember being a junior steer rider at a rodeo and I seen Bert Hall have every bull tied up and then I can remember your buck jump truck rolling in and every horse was tied up too. Well, that was just buck jump show stuff. So yeah. Bert Hall's, he's... His stuff, when he comes through the through the thing, he had a lot to do with my grandfather. When It's like a lot of these contractors. Um, they had a lot to do with my grandfather when he first came into it, Bert, and Bert's stock, my grandfather would cart some of them, that sort of stuff. So, And, you know, old um, Lofty Canard and out west, they had buck jump shows and that, and Bert was sort of tied in with Lofty, and, and that's where Bert got to it. But Bert, he had everything tied up. Like <laughs> he'd go to Bert's place and he'd have like – 30 young bulls in a round yard tied up, you know, by the nose and they're all just laying there, you know. So, but it was the same with the horses. All our horses used to be tied up and tethered and, you know, so you could handle them. So you could jump them up aboard and you could go anywhere and do anything with them. I think the scariest thing when I went to your first rodeo was the bloody monkey tied up to the truck. That was always part and parcel. There was a lot of stories about monkeys and a lot of old cowboys. A lot of stories about monkeys around our camp. Always been monkeys sort of things, no more, but um, had a lot of funny stories told about them. And it had a lot of animals. You know, I've always loved animals and we've always been involved with a lot of animals through our buck jump show or circus and things like that. I mean, you can drive out here now, you'll see camels, you'll see llamas, you'll see ponies, you'll see mules, money or mules. You still got that mule, actually. There's, there's, there's I never got that mate. check. Is that in the mail, is it? It'll always be in the mail. It'll always be in the mail. It's just never get to you. It'll always be in the mail. But, I mean, that's that's how it goes. And that's, you know, you, you know what our family's like. You know, my brother Brian, I mean, he got chooks, he got guinea pigs. You got, you know, it's like my grandkids. It, there's animals everywhere, but they love them. That's yep. what we are. We're animal people, Yep. you know. I know the one thing I curse the Gill brothers for is uh, we go to a rodeo and my kids spot Brian Gill and – and every um every Ferris wheel's free, and, and, then, and then we go to a show where there's not the Gill brothers, and they think I'm going to hemorrhage money all night. <laughs> so uh, yeah, moving no, forward, Eddie, you're a father, you're a grandfather. What what do you want the young Gills to take on and continue? I want the young Gills to do what they want to do in their lives. I love what I'm doing. And I hope they love what they're doing as being part of what we're doing. But I've always been one of do what you want to do. And I do encourage my kids and, and that to do that. But they all seem to come back to this. Yep. They all come back to this. This is a great life and it's a, it's a great thing. It's a great mateship thing. And, you know, I, I look at my grandkids now, like Ryan's kids and Jackson's kids and Caitlin's kids and Eddie's kids and that sort of stuff, and they – they all they all own their own horses. Like they can tell you who Trouble Waters is. They can tell you who Cowboy Up is. Oh, that's eye candy over there. When are you going to, you know what I mean? So I'd love them to be doing what I'm doing. That's why we do what we do. It's, it's always been our family, our generations and our kids taking on that sort of stuff. But I'd never pressure them to do it. I'd, I'd want them to love it like we love it, you know. Because so, part and parcel of this stuff is, is if you're a stock contractor, expect to go without. Yeah. Just expect to go without because that's what happens when you have animals. You have to go without and you have to take second fiddle. You don't have breakfast before your animals have breakfast. I mean, there are old rules that all horsemen know. And um, so you expect to go without. And we do go without, but we love what we do. Jim Ivory once told me there's no Jewish stock contractors. 
That may be true. <laughs> that may be true. I've never thought about that one. Well, uh, have a think about that one, mate. But look, I've loved this time, Eddie. I really have. I hope there's people out there that have had a glimpse of the, of the Gill Brothers' life and the and the heritage of rodeo in this country. And uh, and it's alive and well. Like at the Wrangler National Finals the other day, the guy in the bareback, um, young Howlett, um, he's mm. come out of the Gill Brothers' school. Well, Jamie, it's terrific. Well, Howlett's, we've known Howlett's for so long, but Jamie did spend a bit of time down here. Malcolm coached him along in that for a while. Won't take his credit for being as good as what he is because he's a terribly good cowboy, but um, plenty come through here. It's the same as Jake Finlay. Jake Finlay, like, yeah. They become like your kids. What happens is, is they come here and because we're fair, so family-orientated, so many of them come here, so many of them spend time with you, and I know that when they rock back up, it's like, oh, he's – Arnie Karen and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's just like family. So when you see them kids, when you watch Howlett over there and Finlay and, and these other kids going good, you get a bit proud and you get a little bit emotional. You think to yourself, that kid's really going good. He's achieved something. Hopefully he learnt something from what we've um, what we've sort of contributed there. Yeah. Absolutely, mate. Well, um, no, it's been a blast, Eddie. I think we, we might have to do a part two one day, but um, – Look, hopefully your mum's well and uh, give me regards to your family and uh, it's been a great insight here, mate, and uh, I really thank you for your time. Good talking to you, Scotty. Thanks for the uh, call, mate. Cheers, Eddie. Okay. See you, mate. From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting and Communications. Specialising in rural business and marketing design, find them on Facebook and Instagram.